0: You would remain standing and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, (coughs) stick a finger there, and find Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 is really where we're going to camp out, but we're going to see a little bit of uh, the birth narrative of Christ first. The grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Luke 1, beginning in 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then flip over to Hebrews, the end of chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this, your word. Truly, it is light and life. Lord, would you shape us, point us to you, our great high priest, the one who makes perfect intercession for us. Lord, may your spirit be at work today, shaping your people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before I jump in, um, greetings from the Haines family. They told me to, to greet you and uh, express their love for you. Uh, it was very exciting. Um, last weekend, uh, a week ago today, DeMiron was ordained. Um, and just by God's grace, I was able to go up. The Yonkers went up, and we were able to be there to see that, and uh, it's just so great. Uh, it's not the end of uh, his ministry. Um, he, he says it's going to feel a little odd. He just went right back to work on Monday, uh, but it's it really is something to see the ordination process, to have the leaders in the church come and lay hands on him and to pray over him. It was. It was really great, and he wanted to send greetings and love to you uh, from Detroit. So, again, before we get into Hebrews, which will be, uh, it'll take up most of our time, pay attention to Luke 1, that little text that I've read. There's a lot going on. We have this angel, Gabriel, being sent from God to make this announcement We have Mary, a virgin, being told she's going to have a child. We have this child who, who will be great, called the Son of the Most High. This child would grow to sit on the throne of his father, David, forever. And this kingdom that he is ushering in, this child is going to usher in will last forever and never, ever end. The world has never seen anything like this. Leaders come and go. They die. Kingdoms rise and fall. There's never been anything like this. You have to consider how astounding that is. And passages like this become so familiar that sometimes we just read over them. Yeah, that's great. That's a Christmas story Gives us this warm, fuzzy feeling, and then we move on. I want us to consider how staggering these things really are. The incarnation of Christ is meant to fill us with awe and wonder. There's no simple answer to the text. I don't know about you, but I've never heard a message from Gabriel... He's never come and talked to me. The world has never known before or since a virgin to conceive and bear a child. We have never truly known a permanent leader like this. And again, every kingdom of the world can be toppled. They don't last forever. So we're left with this. What, What does this mean? What does it mean that God would become incarnate? That the Son of the Most High would be born? What does does Advent mean? And that's kind of been the trajectory, the, the rails of our Advent season this year. A couple of weeks ago, we heard from Joe on Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, which presents Christ as a better word. We have these... God had communicated in days of old through the prophets, but now he communicates through his Son, who is the one who inherits all things. So we had all these words, and in Christ we have a better word. Advent means a better word. Then last week, Howard looked at Hebrews chapter 4, the idea of rest, in the past, people, the people of Israel have been offered little glimpses of rest. In our world, in our lives, we long for and look for rest, but often in the wrong ways. And then Hebrews 4 comes along and says, here's your rest. Christ is your rest. He is a better rest for your soul. Advent means all this is loaded with meaning. It means a better word, it means a better rest. And today we'll see that Advent means a better priest. The end of last week's text was ominous. The living and active word of God is like a sharp sword cutting down to the very soul of a person. That's ominous. That's scary. And no creature, it says, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Exposed to the eyes of God. you know the bad guy in Lord of the Rings? Sauron? you know what makes him so scary? What is he? He's a huge eye, lidless, huge eye, way up in the sky. Why did he pick an eye as the epitome of the bad guy? Because it's horrifying. It sees all. It doesn't miss things. It's exactly what the text in Hebrews is saying about the eye of God. Not the horrible enemy, his eye, his righteous eye holy eye on all of us so how do we respond knowing that he knows all that we are laid bare before him the very next thing he does is take us to a priest we need a priest because in this gaze this eye of god all of us fall short we need a go-between we need a high priest We'll approach the text today in the way it's laid out for us. There are two indicative statements. There are two uh, truth statements. This is the way things are. And then there are two applications. Two truth statements. Two applications. The first truth. Look at verse 14. So then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. reality. That's a fact. We have a great high priest since. Because because we have this high priest, this is the foundation that he is building. We have a great high priest unlike other high priests who once a year would go through the veil, right, into the Holy of Holies, taking blood and, and making atonement once a year for his own sin and for the sin of the people. He was only allowed in once a year on one day a year and it was only one dude who could go in. And the writer to Hebrews is saying we have a great high priest who didn't go through that veil but went through the veil of heaven itself. The writer of Hebrews knows that this piercing sword is a fearful and dreadful thing. And yet, he wants us to know that God has sent a priest for us. This gaze of God that is on every single one of us, the cutting sword of the Spirit and the Word that, that divides even down to our very soul, he knows that's terrifying. And he knows against it, none of us could stand. And he wants us to know that we have a priest who didn't just go in behind the veil once uh, on one day. He went through the veil of heaven itself. He made atonement in the heavens. Who were the priests and why did they matter? According to the Mosaic law, the old covenant priesthood belonged to Aaron and his sons and God Himself appointed this priesthood. And they were to to work between man and God. They were to represent man to God. One of their chief responsibilities, again, was this, this day of atonement. Being a priest was a bloody, bloody business. It's horrifying. There's blood everywhere. There's carcasses everywhere. Carcasses being burned on the altar. Blood being taken and anointing various... Pieces of furniture in the temple. It was horrible business. Could you imagine the smell? You're the writer of Hebrews saying that Jesus is our great high priest. He came to perform the duties of a priest. Bloody business, but not the blood of bulls and goats. Whose blood did Jesus use? whose blood atoned perfectly was his own. His own blood. It's a bloody business. And he says that's what we need in light of this eye, this piercing sword. What we need is a priest. What we need is someone in between. And Christ is that priest. This leads us to the first application. He says, let us hold fast our confession. We have this great high priest who's passed through the heavens. He's done it. He's accomplished it. And so, what that means for us is let us hold fast our confession because Jesus is our high priest. Hold fast to the faith. Because he has done what we cannot do, keep on believing. Keep on going in the faith because Christ came to intercede for us. Keep believing. Several times Hebrews links the greatness of Christ and holding on to the faith. Why aren't we to despair in our faith? How are we to hold on with confidence? It's because we we know who we're with. It's not because we're so good. It's because He's so good. We can have confidence, hold fast to your confession because you have a high priest who has gone before you. Back in 2019, I had a chance to fly a plane. It's crazy. I am, I am not a pilot. I haven't been in many planes like this. This may have been my second or third time ever. And we're at altitude and we're going from here to Arkansas. And then the person I'm with said, Do you want to drive? I was like, I, I don't know. He's like, Oh, yeah, take it. What do you mean? Hold on to that. I'll tell you what to do. And I flew for like 20 minutes. I turned left when I wanted to. I turned right when I wanted to. If I wanted to go up a little bit, I could, or down, I could. I had confidence. Not because I knew what I was doing. I had no clue. I had confidence because the guy sitting right there beside me, he knew what he was doing. He was a highly skilled pilot and had been for years and years and years. And this plane belonged to him. He, I had confidence flying that plane around, not because I knew I, I didn't have a clue. That's exactly what's going on here. It's like your confidence and your confession isn't that you know what you're doing. It's not that you're so good. It's him. It's the high priest. Because we have this high priest who has passed through the heavens, trust him. Hold on to him. Keep believing. Not because you're so good. Not because you could ever make atonement. You can't. Because of him, the high priest, he says, hold fast to your confession. The second truth statement, the second indicative statement we're given is this, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Just thinking about a high priest, you think, okay, there's only one of these dudes And he's very distant from the common person. There's only one of them and and he's not like me. We might get this sense that a high priest because they they do this duty they don't really know what's going on in the normal person's life. The writer to Hebrews is like nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus knows, your high priest knows exactly what it's like to be tempted. Advent tells this This different story. Jesus was born into a sin filled world where death is a reality. Jesus can be trusted because he knows our deepest fears and struggles. He can be trusted as our high priest because he knows what it's like to feel pain. He knows the challenge of living in a family. He knows the feeling of rejection. He even knows what it feels like. To have a close close friend betray him. He knows. He knows. Jesus can be trusted because in every respect, in every way, he has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Utterly sinless. Hebrews 2.18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He knows and so he's able to help. A great question that is raised is this. He he doesn't really know. He's not really been tempted as we are in in every way because why would people argue that? Because we've all given in. He doesn't really know because he he never gave in. Lewis in Mere Christianity actually answers that objection. Listen, I'm just going to read I can't answer it better than this. Listen to what he says about this. He says, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist, end quote. It's incredible. He doesn't know less about temptation. He doesn't know less about your life and my life. He knows more. He knows what it is to not give in till the very end. He knows. We have a great high priest who knows. Tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He he knows more about temptation than you or I ever will. Why? Because we give in. And he never did. Because we have this truth, we have this high priest We are invited into this second application. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we have this utterly sinless high priest,
1: this one who has taken
0: our place. He then applies this in several ways, and we're going to to walk through these applications together. And again, remember, all of this is in front of that all-seeing eye that pierces. You can't hide from it. It knows everything. It sees all. This is the eye of God. All of this is, is what we have before us because of this great high priest. And this is what Advent is all about. This is it right here. First, it tells us where we are to go. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. That is a sweet, sweet application because so many times we don't know what we're doing. Something terrible happens and we feel utterly lost. We, we don't know what to do with this economic crisis that just hit us. We don't know what to do with a diagnosis that is utterly devastating. We, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn in our career. we confused on every front. He's telling us, because we have a great high priest, He's telling us where to go. He, come to the throne of grace. You don't know where else to turn. You can turn here, to a throne room of a king. You can come to Jesus. Because Christ is our great high priest, we have unparalleled access to the very presence of God. As John Newton put it, Quote, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring for his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much, end quote. You are coming to the throne room of a king. That's what it means to have a great high priest. All Christians from the youngest, the most frail of faith to the oldest. The most sage Christian have the same access. You're offered the same thing. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, this is what it means to have a great high priest. It means we have unmitigated access to the very throne of grace. We have to remember that sin, again, sin cut off this access. Do you remember the flaming sword, the angel with the flaming sword in Genesis? It's like, no, you can't come back in here. The only way to come back in here is death. And now the writer of the Hebrews is saying, no, you have unmitigated access because you have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. He's done what we cannot do because Christ came because of the advent of our Lord, because we have a better high priest and the Lord Jesus Christ, we are invited to the very throne of God, child of God. You have access in prayer to the throne of grace. Spurgeon said, in prayer we stand where angels bow with veiled faces. There, even there, the cherubim and seraphim adored before that selfsame throne to which our prayers ascend. Yes, that throne room. Do you realize today, because Christ has come, because he has lived in your place, because he has died in your place, he He has taken the unmitigated wrath of God that sin deserves for you, and he has conquered death, hell, and the grave, because that is true, you and I have access to him in prayer. He hears us. What about if you don't know how to pray? What if you're like, man, I'm not an expert. I'm barely into this Christian thing. I'm I'm, I'm just believing, just, just holding on. I don't know how to do that. Pastor, I hear you pray and hear others. Listen, do parents despise their babies before they can talk? What do parents do with babies who can't talk? Figure out their cries. This is astounding. I I never thought it was true until we had kids. Like, Jim could identify, oh, that's this cry. What? You, You learn. You learn the needs. Listen, this is the same with our Lord. He does not despise just crying for help. Lord, help me. That's one of the best prayers you could ever pray. How is this throne characterized? What makes up the substance of the very throne of God? It tells us. We don't have to guess. Grace. It's not a throne of works. It's not a throne of our merit at all. It's His throne of grace. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to my cross I cling this is about grace. It tells us where to go, but it also uh, it tells us how often we are to come. Let us draw near. The sense of this is it keeps on going. The approach to this throne is never ending. Continually draw near. Keep coming here. Keep coming time and time and time again because of our great high priest to this throne of Grace. This is crazy he's talking about high precinct which we should think limited access only once and then you're done you don't you don't go back for another year that's not what he's flipping the script totally it's like you have access to come all the time the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down the curtain has been ripped from the top to the bottom You have access all the time. Let us draw near. Not stand far off. Draw near to the Lord. So we're told where we're to go. We're told when to come. And then we're told how to come. Let us with confidence draw near. How can anyone come into the presence of God with confidence? Confidence here meaning freedom, openness, boldness. Where does this boldness come from? Listen, it is not boldness in self. It is not because you have it together good enough to, I can be bold before this throne of God. It is not that kind of confidence. It is not that kind of boldness. It is confidence and boldness in Him confidence that our high priest has accomplished the sacrifice in our place. We have confidence. We come boldly because we come in the name of Jesus. I have got nothing to offer to the throne of God. I bring nothing to him but my need. My boldness before him in prayer is not because I am so good at it. Come in openness because we know who our high priest is and what he has done for us. Come boldly in freedom because we come in union with Christ. I think a lot of us struggle with this one. We see the gospel and we kind of get it, kind of connects in in a general way, but we, we struggle to personalize it. We struggle with this boldness, this freedom before the Lord. We, we struggle in confidence in the love of God. That's exactly what we're being pointed to. Listen, if, if you're not coming before Him in your own merit, and you're coming solely in the merit of Christ, that should embolden you. It's not your own effort. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open." Jesus is inviting boldness. Just read the Psalms. Those guys are bold in prayer. Incredible hymns. Boldly talking to God. Because they know who they are before Him. Once again... What about when it's just utterly not there? What about when we're completely timid before Him? What, what about when we're utterly reluctant to go to Him in prayer? I love this from Romans 8. He, he addresses this very thing. Let us, uh, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I love that. I can't come boldly right now. I don't even know what to say. And even in that moment, your high priest is interceding for you. Even when we don't know what to pray. Finally, because our great high priest has come... We're told what we can expect at the throne. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is the outcome of all of this? What is the outcome of this great high priest who goes before us? The reality is that this all-seeing eye, this righteous eye of God, this sword, listen, we, we all deserve destruction under that gaze. We deserve to be cut, we we deserve death and sin. It's not doing an end around any of that, it's not saying that that's not true, That, that is utterly the case. That's why when we go to this throne of grace on the merit of Christ alone we receive grace and mercy. That's good news. That's exactly what we need, that's exactly what Christmas is about. God's mercy is praised throughout the scriptures. It is great to the heavens. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. His mercy brings pardon and peace. God's mercy is abundant. It is sure. It is wholly undeserved. He is merciful. The twin of that is God's grace. Twin graces they're called. It's rich and it's free and without measure. God's grace is what bears fruit in the life of the believer. Knowing this grace, going to this throne room and receiving grace is what produces fruit in the life of the believer. You want to be changed in your Christian life again and again and again, go to this throne of grace and there receive grace to help in time of need. Have you Put your faith and trust in Christ. You know his mercy and grace is available to you. This is what Advent is all about. This is what Christ has come to do. He has come to be a better high priest. Not one who is limited in access and can only go in once a year. No, he is not that kind of priest. He has passed through the heavens so that we might be invited to be there with him. This is what this season is about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a great high priest. And for this invitation, Lord, to come with confidence. And we do so with confidence this morning. Not because of our own merit. We come confidently because we come in your name, Jesus. Would you shape us this season to know that you are better. You're a better word. You're a better rest. You're a better priest. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.